Amen. Amen. Lord, we do. We adore you. We worship and magnify your most holy name. You are a great and an awesome God. We thank you that we can call you Father and call you Lord, Savior, King, and Friend. You're not a faraway God, but you love us so much and desire to have intimate fellowship with everyone who's here this morning. Lord, draw us unto yourself. Just soften and prepare our hearts to receive from your word. May your spirit speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Great to have you here. Good to see you. Turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to finish up the chapter this morning. And then we will have a time of communion, lest I forget. Those were here last month, you know what happened. God just reminding you of the frailties of your pastor. It's a good thing. And then our time of agape feast. Hey, I just want to tell you, as far as the building situation, I'm excited. I'm excited. Let me tell you why I'm excited. Because I believe God's going to use that to reach more people for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God's going to be added to. Lives are going to be changed. God's going to be glorified. And eternity's going to be impacted. Amen? And that's what it's all about. Amen. We can clap. It's okay. And what I love about it, too, is, uh, you know, I've just been real transparent with you guys. One of my biggest concerns has been our children's ministry and I can tell you right now that when we move in we might not have carpet in the sanctuary but that children's ministry is going to be awesome because I want moms and dads to feel really good about bringing their kids amen because if you don't if you don't minister to people's kids you're going to lose the whole family and so it's so important that our kids be not only taught the truth but to be in an environment where parents are going to be ministered to and then just have the availability to have stuff going on every night of the week and it's just going to be wonderful. So I'm looking forward to it. And praise God, Scott, boy, Scott's Valley, night and day. Wow. Those of you who were there, wow. They acted like they wanted us there or something. It was amazing. But you know, we've been praying all the way through that, you know, we would not strive in the flesh, but we would rest in the Lord and that he would be the one who would open the doors. And it's so clear that he has. And because he opened it, he's going to sustain it because he's faithful. Amen. So just keep that in prayer, and we are going to give you an opportunity right, right when we open to, uh, my heart is to go door to door, at least in Scotts Valley, maybe Felton, Ben Lomond, and certainly parts of Santa Cruz, and invite people personally to come to church. Think we could do that or what? So that's the heart I have. We're going to advertise it. We're going to send out to everybody who's ever come here before. Many of them have left because of facility questions. So again, we'll just see what God does, and it's going to be wonderful. All right. This morning, 1 John chapter 3, we're going to pick up in verse 19. It's been a few weeks because we uh, looked at a couple different chapters with the retreat and uh, different things that have been going on. So to bring us back up to speed, and then I'll give you the... uh, Just remember quickly that John is writing to a church in the first century, a church that he had spent a great deal of time with, to the church in general, and his burden for them is that they're being taught false doctrine. There's people in the church that are starting to teach things that aren't true, and they're being out, you know, persecuted from the outside. So outward persecution and inward corruption. So this letter comes from John exhorting them not to fall for the lie. One of the main lies being taught were the Gnostics who thought they had special knowledge from God. You had to come to them. Only they knew it. Only they knew the truth. You know, you couldn't go to God yourself, and, and they had this special wisdom that they were going to give you and again, it's so, many, like, so much like in the world today where there are those who will tell you that they have a special path to God, that only they can bring you there. Guys, there is a path to God, and His name is Jesus Christ. Amen? And it's not a man, and it's not an organization, and it's not a, you know, anything else other than Him and His Word. So we're going to pick up, as we've been seeing these exhortations coming to them, on how they are to live, how they are to stand fast, how they're not to fall for the lies. So this morning, I titled the message, A Healthy Heart, or, all, or A Spiritual Heart Exam. And we're going to go through, and it's interesting, in these six verses, he talks about heart. The word heart is in nearly every verse, and he's talking about the heart that they should have. First of all, we're going to see that in a healthy heart, or in our spiritual heart exam, that there is a confirming heart. We'll talk about what that means. Secondly, there should not be a condemning heart, but many have a condemning heart. We'll define that. We should have a confident heart. 
And that confidence should pour out not only in the way we live, but the way that we approach God in our prayer life. Fourth, we should have an obedient heart. That God didn't save us that we might not change. And we'll talk about the fact that when we've been born again, there should be a radical change. Fifth, a faithful and loving heart. The, great, you know, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's one commandment, to love God and love people. And that's evidence of someone who's spiritually mature. And then fourthly, a spirit-filled heart. So let's get right into the text. A healthy heart, a spiritual heart exam. First, we're going to see a, a confirming heart. It says there in verse 19. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. By this we know. Since it's been a few weeks, I'm gonna, this is where I'm going to kind of bring you up to speed again with the last time we, we looked at this text. By this, by what? By this we know that our hearts have been assured before God, that our faith has been confirmed, that we truly are born again. How do we know? What is the test? What did we see last time? One, he said, because our love has gone beyond mere words. If you saw in verse 18, he says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. It's one thing to say we love God, and it's another thing to act like it. It's one thing to speak boldly about the things of God, and it's another thing for people to see Christ in us in the way that we behave. And so the exhortation here was, look, don't just be a Christian in the things that you say in the people that you hang out with, in the bumper stickers that are on your car, the t-shirts that you wear. But be a Christian in the way that you live. Not just in word, but in deed. And he says, by this, by the fact that you're living it, is evidence that you truly have been born again. Belief, true belief, is reflected in our behavior. True and sincere confession is revealed in godly character. So John, again, is addressing a church when they were experiencing this persecution and they were being challenged. And during times like that, again, I know I've repeated it a lot, but as we keep going through, that's what the context is. The Gnostics said you could believe God in your spirit and live however you wanted in your flesh. You could be born again in the spirit and going to heaven. And since your flesh was evil, it didn't really matter what you did anyway because your flesh was going to die. So they separated the spirit from the flesh to the point where they said, love God, cheat on your wife. Love God, steal, lie, do whatever you want because the flesh is evil anyway. Guys, we're living in a time now, that sounds so ridiculous, but we're living in a time now where the word of God is being challenged for its authority. Where people will say, yeah, well, the word of God says that, but I don't believe it. Well, the word of God says that we shouldn't do this, but hey, it's, the, you know, it's 2009, come on. And we, we have this moral relativism all over the place. And we have even pastors in churches where today there are more pastors who do not believe in the virgin birth at any time in history. More pastors who say the resurrection is not a big deal. More pastors who say the word of God is not infallible. I even catch heat from some of you guys sometimes going, come on, Pastor Dave, are you telling me they got to believe all? Yes, yes, all of it. Amen? Because when we start making the Bible less, he says he elevates his word above all of his name. And we start devaluing the word of God. We're making Jesus Christ lower. So Leviticus is as inspired as Luke, Ruth as Romans, it's all God's word, let's read it all, let's live by it all, and it still all applies to us today, amen? That's the word of God. And the exhortation was, look, these actions are fruit that there's been a change. If there's no action, there's no fruit, there's been no salvation. And so we should have a confirming heart. There needs to be a real connection between belief and behavior. Because John is saying just the opposite of what the Gnostics have said. One of my favorite verses. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. And it's because of this change in our behavior that we can have assurance that we have indeed been saved. It's not the deeds that save us. The deeds are a reflection that we've been saved. But you cannot separate the two. Pastor Dave, are you teaching a works-based salvation? Absolutely not. I'm teaching a works-based faith that pours out of us when we're in love with Jesus. Amen? 
It's evident. It's a radical change in our behavior that gives us both the knowledge and assurance that we truly have been saved. We can know. We can know. The word know there says by this we know. We know. Didn't the world hope a lot? Didn't we just have a president that ran on that word hope? I'm glad I don't hope. I'm glad I know. Amen? Not a hope so. Not a dream so. Not a vision. Not a wannabe. Not a hope could be. Not a might be. Not the best possible plan, the only plan, the only way, the only truth, the only hope, the only life. We serve the true and living God, and we're going to heaven, and that's a fact. Amen? Amen? Didn't I get, and that's good stuff. And we ought to be excited about that. And it's a no-so, and the word know there, gnosko, means to know by experience. We can know by experience. We can be assured in our hearts that we've been born again. If you're here this morning and you don't know for sure if you've been saved, I would say, Pastor Dave's opinion, you're probably not. You know why? Because I know for sure that I am. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. And guys, don't walk around with a hope so. Don't walk around with a maybe so. Let's know for sure. Let's get that right with him. We know because of who we've put our faith in. And we know that we have, if we have truly put our faith in him, if we have a supernatural love for one another. He says, look, this is the evidence. You're going to love each other. This is the evidence. The good works that are going to be produced. The fruitfulness in your life. The radical transformation in you. That's the fruit. That's the confirmation that your heart has changed. Again, it's not only in our words, but in our actions. He says that we are of the truth. That we are the real and true disciples of and belonging to the truth. Who's the truth? Jesus Christ. That was really weak. I know it's raining, but come on now. Who's the truth? There it is. Amen. And guys, we, if we can't shout it in here, we're not going to live it out there. And Lord, help us to you know, be bold in our faith and not be ashamed of Him. He's the true and living God. The world's got it all backwards. They're looking for truth and human wisdom and the accumulation of knowledge and philosophical debates. They're trying to find peace in the amassing of wealth through personal relationships and physical comfort and fleshly enjoyment. But guys, it's not human wisdom that brings truth, but the knowledge of the truth that makes us wise. Amen? It's not the pursuit of wisdom that leads us to the truth. It's knowing the truth that makes us wise. It's not the accumulation of knowledge that helps us find truth, but walking in the truth that gives us real understanding. The truth is not defined by philosophical debate, but the truth of Jesus Christ brings an end to all debates. Amen? We don't have to debate Jesus. Just let him out of the box. He'll take care of himself. Amen? Just open up the Bible and just tell it don't have to defend him he's god amen he can stand up for himself you know these all these other gods have come and gone all the other religious leaders come and gone it's march 14th 2009 2009 years since what jesus christ every time people write down the date on their checks they're confirming the person of jesus amen he's god we have a confirmed heart before him he gives us real and everlasting peace peace isn't found in the world it's not found in riches it's not found in position it's not found in comfort it's found in knowing the prince of peace peace doesn't come from our circumstances but exists in spite of them satan is the father of lies he tempted eve with power and position and wisdom and knowledge and guess what his tactics haven't changed as christians we don't just know the truth we are of the truth. We're of it. We're His. His Spirit dwells in us. And the fruit of our intimate fellowship with the one who selflessly laid down His life on our behalf is that we too will selflessly lay down our lives for others. To truly know Him is to live for Him and to live like Him. Guys, it's a heavy task. We'll never fully accomplish it. But my prayer is that people will see Jesus in us. Amen? In the way that we live, in the way that we love, in the way that we serve. And it's by a demonstration of this selfless love that we can know that we are of the truth. 
Guys, here's the point. If you say you know God and you're selfish, you're self-centered, your life is fruitless, you're angry, you're bitter most of the time, I got a question, have you truly been saved? Because the Holy Spirit will not allow us to live like that for long. Amen? When we do, we're convicted. That's good. That's ownership papers. Amen? If you're convicted when you sin, that's a good thing. If God grabs a hold of your heart when and you're becoming more and more of a desire to live in the center of his will. But if we're bitter and angry and self-centered and self-promoting, we're not of the truth, but we're of the lie. Who's the father of lies? Satan. And what did he want to do? He wanted to be like the Most High God. He wanted to be above God. He tempted Eve with being like the Most High God. And he tempts men today the very same way. His tactics haven't changed because they keep on working. And he says here, and shall assure our hearts before him. Assure our hearts before him. The word assure means to convince, persuade, or set to rest. The fact that we live selfless, others-focused, unconditional, having agape love in action is the testimony, the, the assurance to each of us that we truly have been saved. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, this agape love in action, is evidence that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Guys, our assurance isn't in our good works. Our assurance is in the one who poured out his spirit spirit upon us that we might produce good works. Amen? Don't get those out of order. You'll be trying to earn your salvation. Don't do that. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. But if you've truly been saved, you'll be radically transformed. So with that being said, our assurance that we can indeed become new creations in Christ, the evidence of true and living salvation is not based on a one-time profession long ago, but the present ongoing fruit of the Holy Spirit being evident in our lives. What does that mean? We don't point to a date, we point to a change. Amen? Now, I'm not. here's the point. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, God raised him up from the dead, you will be saved. So if you confess that, and you believe that, and you put your faith in him, you're saved at that moment. It's not a 25-year process. It's an instant, instant salvation, amen? But, here's a reality. In 20-some-odd years as a pastor, I've had the privilege of leading hundreds, if not thousands, in the sinner's prayer, Okay? Many, many hundreds since we've been here, for sure. But here's the point. I'm excited when it happens, but I continue to be prayerful. Here's why. Because people can pray that prayer, and, you know, the parable of the sower, the seed gets planted, and nothing really starts to bear fruit. You know, the cares of the world choke it off, and that person walks out of here, or maybe it's here for a short time. Their life never changes. Here's the reality. That person was never saved. Because if they were saved, there'd be a change. And often what happens is people will say, well, I have an assurance of my salvation because I walked an aisle. I prayed a prayer at camp or at a retreat or wherever it might be. And again, God can save us in the moment. He does save us in the moment. But here's the point. If we've truly been saved, if we've truly surrendered, we should not just point to a date, but a radical transformation. You should be able to look back. See, here's what happens when you do funerals. Often they'll say, you know, the person's living the most godless life you've ever seen. Out of control, adulterous, just fornicate, thief, liar. I mean, no thoughts of God, no relationship with God, the mocking of God. But then they'll point back to when they were seven years old at a, you know, VBS that they went forward and prayed a prayer and they're convinced they're saved. You know what? Here's the point. And I'm not belittling that. I want to make it clear because I'm concerned about your eternity. Guys, we can't be resting in a momentary prayer many years ago that didn't change us. If we weren't changed, we haven't been saved. If we've been saved, there will be a change. That's the assurance. He says, by what? By this. By the fact that you love each other. By the fact that something supernatural is happening in your life. That's the evidence that you have a confirmed faith. A confirmed heart. A transformation in you. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be satisfied with a get-out-of-hell-free card. Amen? That we wouldn't think it was enough to just live like the world and show up at church for an hour a week. You know what? He's not our God for an hour a week. Amen? He watches over us 24-7. We ought to be serving Him the same amount of time. Lord, help us to go beyond 
just a lukewarm Christianity. It is true that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But if there's been salvation, then there will be good works. There will be fruit. We're going to move on to the second point, but I just want to quote these verses. It says in James 2.17, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But then it says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God. You do well, but even the demons believe and tremble. You do not do what you know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead. Guys, we are saved at the moment of confession and repentance but you guys got to remember that word repentance gets lost sometimes. Here's what it means. And I know for many of you it's going to be redundant, but that's okay. We need to hear it again. Repent means to turn. I was going this way. I was living this life. I was headed in this direction. Then I met Jesus Christ and everything changed. I stopped going this way. I didn't want to go that way anymore. I turned completely around and I started following him. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, rode to Damascus on the road to kill Christians. Got saved, repented, met Jesus Christ, and went the opposite direction and became a man who arguably was one of the greatest Christians who ever lived, planting churches throughout the known world. That's repentance. Amen? Lord, help us to move beyond this arm's length Christianity. Lord, help us to be those who recognize that it's got to be on, go beyond loving in word or in tongue, but doing it in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. Our hearts are assured before Him if our lives are bearing fruit. And guys, I pray that the reality of our sin, the reality of our own depravity, if you're here this morning and you're visiting and you didn't know it, let me tell you, from a heart of love, you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Amen? And that's all of us. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And praise God that I met Him. Praise God that I know Him. Praise God that you know Him. Lord, help us be driven to a place of brokenness and confession when we recognize our sin. Holy Spirit conversion is seen in the changed life of a new creation who loves and serves others, not just in words, but in action. So I think I've driven that point home. But I think it's important. So a healthy heart produces a confer- a healthy heart is a confirming heart, a heart that is assured. How many of you know this morning? You know for sure. I want to see your hands. You know for sure you're born again, you're going to heaven. Raise your hand. Praise God. Amen? Not a hope so. Praise the Lord. Number two, a condemning heart. Now, this is not something that should be in a healthy Christian heart. But guess what? All of us struggle with this to a degree. And if we say that we don't, uh We've got a short-term memory or something. Here's the point. Look at verse 20. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Condemns, where the word was to know beforehand, this is the opposite. Condemn is the opposite of knowing. It's against knowledge or against and to know. That's what the word is. Gnosko means to know. Kata gnosko is the word here for condemns. I don't know. I'm really not sure. I don't have an idea. To know something against someone, to find fault with, to blame, to accuse, to condemn, that's what the word means. So, guys, there is one who wants to condemn us. But praise God, the word of God tells us that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But guess what? Those words, those thoughts of condemnation, those doubts of salvation. Here's the point. True salvation goes beyond what we say, and true salvation also goes beyond how we feel. What this word really means, have you ever woken up and not felt saved? Raise your hand. I really don't feel saved. You know, I've been blown this week. I really don't feel saved. And guess who's right there to tell you you're not I really don't feel that, you know, I've just been blown and I just don't feel. Guys, it's not about how we feel, but who God is. It's not about, the, you know, today I don't feel good. Today I had a tough day. Today I'm all over the map. Today I'm a mess. And we start to condemn ourselves and our flesh is weak. And you know what? Sometimes we do, we 
feed our flesh and we follow after it and we fall into sin's trap. But a healthy heart is not a condemning heart. While the conviction of the Holy Spirit is a good thing and a mark of true salvation, it drives us to a place of obedience, condemnation is not a good thing. It is one of Satan's greatest tools for attempting to render us defeated and ineffective. The Bible says in Revelation 12.10 that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, that he accuses us day and night before God. If Satan can't destroy you, he will do all he can to make you ineffective. If he can't take you to hell... He'll try to keep you from taking anyone else to heaven. If he can't, you know, have you follow after him, he wants you to walk around self-pitying, feeling bad about yourself, overwhelmed, depressed, anguished, and blowing your testimony. That's the next best thing for Satan. But guys, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. God is far... There's no opposite of God. People try to make Satan the opposite. He's not the opposite. Opposite would mean he somehow relates. He's not close. He's toast compared to God. Amen? He was the opposite of anybody, maybe Michael the archangel. He's a created being. Guys, we're greater than him because of who's in us. We don't have to fear him. We don't have to walk around depressed and, and upset. We can't let our feelings lead us. Don't be led by how you feel, but be led by the, the truth of the word of God, which is unchanging. Our feelings can go like this. God doesn't change. Amen? Amen. And a condemning heart is one that doubts our assurance, starts to question who we are, starts because of our feelings, feeling defeated and disqualified, and Satan coming after our emotions. Here's what it says in Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Is that true or what? This is why you can't just feel things. When I counsel people, if they start off with, well, I feel. Ah. How about I prayed and God showed me by his spirit and the word of God confirms it that, amen to that. Too often it's I feel, but I think, but I feel, but I think. Stop feeling, stop thinking, start reading, start praying. Amen. It's the word of God that we need. We have an instruction manual for life. You know what will happen? I just feel like that verse doesn't apply to me. Don't think I haven't heard that. Well, I've just been praying and I just have this feeling. It doesn't apply. You ha- if you're praying, you're praying to the wrong person because you would not pray and then contradict the word of God if you're listening. Amen? Our feelings will often contradict the word of God. Praise God he gave us the word. Can you imagine if we just voted on our feelings all the time? What a disaster. Praise God. Feeling condemned, feeling inadequate or unable to be used by God. At the roughest moments, feeling like we're not even saved. Our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And as our hearts are wicked, our feelings aren't always based on facts. That's why it's very dangerous to base our decisions on our feelings alone. Again, can God, you know, the Bible says, you know, that we follow after him, we serve him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you what you want. Here's what it means. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll make you want what he wants. Amen? My heart will change. It's not delight myself in the Lord so he comes around to my way of thinking. You know, Lord, I'm going to delight in you so you'll let me marry that unsaved girl. I'm going to delight in you so you'll let me do that. I'm going to delight in you so I can keep doing... No! When we delight in him, our desires change. A healthy heart is a heart that's confirmed understands it's a no-so. And it's a heart that reflects that no-so in the fruit that it bears. And it's also a heart that is not condemning. It's not allow, it doesn't allow itself to be condemned and overwhelmed by its feelings. I quoted it earlier. It says, if our heart condemns us, and it tries too often, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to to the spirit and notice what it says into that verse god is greater than our heart amen 
God is greater than our feelings. God is greater than our thoughts. God is greater than our best ideas. God is greater than our plans. God is just plain greater, period. Amen? And since he's greater, who are we to give him ideas? Who are we to tell him how it should be? Who are we to say, well, I just think, I just feel, I just believe. Stop. What does the Bible say? What does God say? He's the authority, not you, not me. Amen? Churches are voting on which verses to take out of the Bible as if they decide. How stupid is that? You know, God didn't really say that. We're voting on it. We just don't believe that. Why? Because it convicts us. We just don't like those verses. Take those verses out of the Bible. It's just Paul's opinion. You know, it's just, it's a cultural thing. Stop it. It is not. Amen? We want revival. Let's get back to the Bible. That's where it is. The character and promises of God is what ought to direct us, not our feelings. No one can ever separate us from the love of God. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. We no longer walk around under the bondage of condemnation. He knows all things. He knows far more than our hearts will ever know. Every sin, every shortcoming, every thought, everything we've ever done, He doesn't condemn us. Instead, He sent His Son to save us. I'm kind of excited this morning, huh? Bible. People say, the Bible's boring. What book are you reading? you kidding me? I'm reading the latest novel, and it's really exciting. If they made the Bible into a miniseries, can you imagine? Dude, it would rock. So read the book, don't wait for the movie, amen? Just start reading it. So a healthy heart is a confirming heart. It's confirmed, we're assured by our actions. It's not a condemning heart. It's not a heart that is allows condemnation to come, but instead trust in the Lord. And it's an obedient heart, or confident heart, excuse me. Now look what it says in verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. We come to truly grasp the fact that our God is greater than our feelings and the enemy who would condemn us, and that he indeed is on our side, then we go from having a heart, we walk around overwhelmed by our feelings and overcome, and instead we can walk in confidence before God. It says in Romans 8, 31 to 34, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is it God who justifies? Who is he who condemns? If God is the one who justifies us, who in the world can condemn us? Nobody. He's the judge. It is Christ who died and furthermore has also risen, who, has, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And who shall separate us from the love of God? As born again, redeemed, and forgiven children of the Most High God and the Bride of Christ, we no longer walk in condemnation. We can approach Him with confidence, come boldly before the throne of grace, and our confidence is not self-confidence, but confidence in Jesus Christ. Amen? And the word confidence here in Greek speaks of a most valued right of a citizen of a free state to speak his mind unhampered by fear or shame. Freedom from condemnation leads to boldness in prayer. Recognizing who we are in Christ instead of walking around overwhelmed and feeling bummed out and allowing our circumstances to bring us to a place of depression and anxiety and worry and bitterness and anger. Instead, we walk realizing I'm a child of the king. I'm going to heaven. He's my dad. He'll never leave me. He's a faithful God. And you know what? He knows what's best. So I'm going to confidently trust in him. And when things are tough, I can boldly come before the throne of grace because the veil's been torn and I can enter in. Lord, help us to come confident in prayer. Amen? We can come boldly before the throne of grace. You know, in the old covenant, a high priest could enter into the Holy Holies one day a year on the Day of Atonement. But when he entered in, he entered in with confidence, not because he was worthy, but because he passed through with the sacrifice. Here's what happened. If you come for the Old Testament, it's great stuff. When you come into the tabernacle, the first thing you see is the bronze altar. It's interesting that it's made of bronze. Bronze speaks of judgment. And that you could lay a man perfectly on the bronze altar. Picture of the cross. 
And there they would shed the blood of a firstborn spotless animal. And as the blood of the lamb was shed, then the priest would go before entering in and he would have to cleanse himself. Because what would happen is he'd go to the bronze laver, which was next, which was made out of uh, the same uh, metals that women used to make mirrors. And so when they would look into the water, they would see themselves covered in the blood in their hands from the sacrifice that was made. And they would see their, ne- their need to be cleansed. What does the cross do? It reveals that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And then after cleansing himself, he would enter into the, the, most, to the holy place. Not the holy of holies. But in the holy place, the first thing that he would see on the left-hand side was the candlestick or the golden lampstand. You know why? Because the one who illuminates truth is Jesus Christ. He's, he is the light of the world, amen? And the oil would keep it burning, the oil, the picture of the Holy Spirit. And then as he would come through, there was the table of showbread, because Jesus is the bread of life. And he would sustain himself. His, his path would be illuminated by the light, picture of Jesus, and he would be sustained by the bread, a picture of Jesus. And then there would be the, the altar of incense, and they would burn incense that would go up in the presence of Almighty God. It's a representation of prayer. But on that one day, he was able to go through the veil and enter into the Holy of Holies. And he would take that blood and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. On each side were cherubim, angels. On each side, and in the middle was a mercy seat that covered the law, the Ten Commandments. Guys, here's the picture. The law shows us we're sinners and our need for a Savior. And Jesus Christ came. If they removed the mercy seat and looked into the law, they would drop dead. But guys, guess what? When Jesus died on the cross, a picture of the bronze altar. He cleansed us, a picture of the bronze laver. And now we're clean in him and he lights up our path and he is the bread of life and he's interceding on our behalf like the the altar of incense. And guys, the veil was torn from top to bottom because God reached down and tore it. And now we can enter in with confidence because that picture of what happened at the Ark of the Covenant is what happened at the resurrection. Because when they walked into the tomb, there was an angel at the foot and an angel at the head and blood in the middle where his clothes were once worn. And guess what? It was all pointing to Jesus. And now, guys, we don't have to bring the lamb because we have the lamb of God. And we don't have to go into that holy place. We go right into the holy of holies when we bow our heads and close our eyes and enter into his presence. And matter of fact, we can do it with our eyes open while we're driving down the freeway. Amen? How good is that? That's the God we serve. And we enter in with confidence. And if you're not confident of your salvation this morning, you can be confident before you leave. Hebrews 4 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, and yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. Guys, you're struggling? Have you spent time in his presence? You're going through difficulties right now? Health, finances, children, whatever it might be you're going through, Spend time in his presence. Veil's been torn. Not one day a year by one man, but we can all enter in anywhere, anytime because of what our Savior did for us. Amen? We have confidence toward God. If we are not condemned, if we're not basing things on our feelings, if we're not allowing those things to rule us, we recognize who we are in Christ, we can have confidence before him. First part of verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Isn't it interesting to note the context of that verse? A lot of people like to jump right to that verse. Whatever we ask. See it on TV a lot when they're trying to get you to send them money. Whatever we ask. You've got to plant your seed in my backyard and whatever we ask. Right? The context is... As we're walking in the center of his will, as we are not condemned, as we are trusting in him, as our faith is in him, as our lives are bearing fruit, as we're walking in the center of his will, then what we ask. Because why? Because we're not asking according to our flesh, but now we're asking in obedience to his will as we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. 
You don't hear a lot of televangelists say that. Here, you know, guys, too often, we just want God to be a genie up in the sky. He's not a genie. He's God. Amen? He's not there for our good pleasure. We're here for His. Amen? So when we pray, we come humbly before, the, but boldly. In humility, but boldly. We don't have to be, you know, we don't have to be tentative. He's Dad. Abba, Father. Abba means Daddy. Daddy's not far away. Amen? Daddy's lap is one you can crawl up into and be very comfortable. He loves us. He's a faithful God. But here's the problem. Sometimes we don't get answers to prayer because prayer we don't pray. Amen? It says in James, you have not because you ask not. Sometimes the very reason people are missing out on God's eyes for their life is they don't spend any time seeking God's face. But I don't know how to pray. Here's the best way to learn how to pray. Pray. Amen? Don't worry about how flowery it sounds. Don't try to impress anybody. God's not going to be impressed anyway. Amen? You can have a vocabulary and be speaking in Greek. Half of your, God's not going to care. He's not all that impressed with us. Amen? He knows the truth. I saw, I've known you. That, no, that God knows. So we come to Him boldly but with humility. I've told you one of my favorite prayers, and I say it often. Help! That's a good one. I like that prayer. Most of the time when I'm studying, I say that often. I'm studying, Lord, I don't understand. Help! Seriously. But you know what? I'm, Lord, I need your help. Lord, I'm desperate for you. Lord, I can't do this without you. Lord, help me. It doesn't have to be the most flowery or eloquent thing, but just coming before him. But guys, a key to answered prayer is learning to ask for the right things. 1 John 5 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if, he, if we know that he hears us, Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. It's learning not just to pray, but also how to pray. And that's where the, the, the whole concept, the word to ask things in His name. By the way, throwing in Jesus' name at the end is not like some magical beans you throw in your prayer. And Lord, I ask for this, 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 this in Jesus' name, amen. Right? When we say in Jesus' name, here's what we're saying. We're saying that we believe this is His will. Amen? I'm praying according to His will, according to His name. If He were sitting here next to me, He'd be praying it with me. Well, the reality is He is because He is seated at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. Amen? It's not a magic formula, but it should remind us of who we're praying to and who we're praying through. It means to be asking in the place of Jesus, doing it in His place, in His name, according to His nature, according to His will. Too often we ask the wrong things. You ask and receive not, it says in James 4, because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. You know, sometimes people want to pray things that are direct contradiction with the Word of God. Can I tell you right now, that is not only a waste of time, but brought down to its most base sense, it's blasphemy. Who are we to go before God and pray for something that we know is in direct contradiction with His Word? We're asking God to go contrary to His nature to, to do what we want. Lord, dis disregard yourself. Disregard your character. Disregard your holiness. Disregard your greatness. Disregard everything about you, who you are, so that you can give me what I want because I know what I'm praying for contradicts your person. Lord, help us not to pray that way. So, a healthy heart, a confirming heart. It's not a condemning heart. It's a confident heart. Second half of verse 22, it's an obedient heart. It says that we ask we receive from Him because we keep His commandments. Again, here's a reason why our prayer is answered. Because we are walking in obedience to His will. Because we keep His commandments. The word keep there is to attend to carefully, to take care of, to observe. And it's in the present tense, which is the idea of continually keeping God's commandments as a way of life, as opposed to living a life of sin, as we saw earlier in the chapter. 1 John 3, 6 says, Whosoever abides in, sin, in him sins not. 
Whoever sins has not seen him nor known him. 1 John 3, 9 says, Whoever is born of God does not commit sin. That's habitual sin. For his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Guys, if we are living a life of obedience, it will lead to answered prayer because our prayer will be in alignment with his will. Amen? And our life of prayer will be surrendered. We don't pray to get, again, you've heard me say this many times, not to get our will done on earth, or to get our will done in heaven, but his will done on earth. It's not to change God's heart, but to change our minds. Amen? We're not trying to change his mind, but change our hearts. Not change his heart, but change his mind. We're not trying to tell God, here's how you need to be. We're saying, God, we don't know how to be. You need to help me. God, I don't fully understand what I should do here. I think I know, but Lord, show me. Show me in your word. Change my heart. Conform it into your image. Make me more like you. Help. Lord, I need your help. But here's the key. Again, ask whatever, receive from him, because we keep his commandments. It's a life aimed at being obedient. The Bible says in John 15, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. What does it say? If you abide in me. If you're grafted into me. If you're hanging on to me. If you're being fed by me. What does a branch do? A branch has to be grafted into the vine. You pull the branch out of the vine, it's a dead stick. It bears no fruit. It's impossible. It must be grafted in. We must be grafted in if we're going to bear fruit. We cannot go off on our own. We can't walk away from God and think that our lives will bear, that our lives will bear any fruit. John 15.10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. If you're walking, if you're abiding, when you're praying, it'll be aligned with the will of God. It's not, again, changing God's way of thinking. It's not changing His mind. It's changing our hearts. And then the last part of verse 22 says this, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. The word pleasing in Greek is uh, agreeable. John eight twenty nine says, and he, he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please Him. Jesus is God, and He lived to please the Father. We're not God. How much more should we be living to please the Father? Amen? We should follow His example. He's the one that shows us how we ought to live. And it says they're pleasing in His sight. Have you ever thought about that? Kind of humbling when you think about it. God is always watching. Amen? You don't leave him at the door of the bar when you go in. You don't leave him on the footsteps of the fornicating relationship when you get... He goes, okay, God, come with me. Let's go. Let's go rip this guy off on the business deal. Come sit down with me while I cheat on my taxes. Come with me while I go lie and cheat. Come with me while I'm watching things that curse your very name. Lord, let me just take you with me. He's always with us. That's great and scary. Amen? He's always watching. When we're walking, you know, have you ever thought about that? You know, just being transparent for a minute, when I played sports, and even when my kids play sports, I'm one of those dads, I'm at every game. I don't care where it is, when it is, I'm going to be there. And my kids, if they're coming up to bat, they look in the stands for me, they want to make sure I'm watching. Why? Because I love them and it's a joy for me to be there to watch them. And when I played sports, I loved it when my dad was there watching. Well, guys, guess what? Our dad's watching. Amen? We ought to be living in a way that will bring honor to him because dad's watching. Let's do this for dad. Amen? Let's live a life for him, pleasing unto him, honoring unto him. And I don't think that's, you know, trite to talk that way, but I, I really do believe that. God is wants to do something in us. It says in Hebrews 13, now the God of peace that brought again from the, that, that rose again from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you, which is well-pleasing in his sight. Do you know God? I don't know how to define this and, I, and, I, and Lord help me if I, if I say this incorrectly, but I have an idea. God gets excited in heaven. Amen? The Bible talks about parties in heaven. 
So you're sharing your faith at work, and I almost imagine God right there going, go ahead, come on, I'm with you. I'm watching, it's okay. Here, say this. Here, let me encourage you. Let me remind you that scripture. You're, have you ever noticed you're witnessing and stuff comes out of your mouth and you got no idea where it came from? Amen? God brings the mirror. I forgot that verse. I don't, when was the last time I heard that? And God, God is so good. He's with us. He's walking with us. And at the same time, he's walking with us when we're being tempted. He, what, he makes the way of escape, doesn't he? That's the God that we serve. His eyes are on us. Lord, let us live a life that's well-pleasing in your sight. Let's quit worrying about being popular with men and being pleasing to God instead. Amen? Lord, help us to live a life that's pleasing unto you. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desire of your heart. Lord, help us to be pleasing in your sight. Finally, a healthy heart is a conforming heart. Confirming heart. It's not a condemning heart. It's a confident heart. It's an obedient heart. And it's a faithful and loving heart. Last verse, look at verse, or verse 23, excuse me. It says this, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave commandment. Notice the two things that he speaks of. He says, and this is his commandment singular. This is his, not his commandments, his commandment. So the commandment that he gives to us is what? This one commandment is this. Love God, love people. Believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Here's the commandment. Believe and love. Believe in him and love one another. Again, when Jesus was tested by the Pharisees and they said, which is the most important of all the commandments? Which one? And Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Guys, it's not enough to love people if we don't love God. And you know what? As we love God, if we truly love God, we're going to love people because he loved them so much, he sent his son to die. Amen? Both of these things should be true in the life of the believer. It's a singular commandment. This is Christianity in a nutshell. And you know what? It's not just his name, but his character and the name that we follow and the name that we serve and the person who he is. He's the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords. He's the King of kings. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He always has been. He always will be. We can't even begin to describe him. Amen? Wish I could describe him to you, right? (laughs) Guys, when we believe who he is, it's amazing how much bolder we come before him with prayer. Right? Is anything too big for God? Nothing. We say that, but do we believe it? Do we live like it? You know what? Just, I just come to my heart right now, so I'm going to pray. I have a co-worker named Emily Wong who, is, who has come down with liver cancer. They've given her two months to live. Pray for her. She's in her 40s. She's got children. And my prayer through all this has been, God, you be glorified through this. Amen? And so I I, I prayed with some of my coworkers, some of whom aren't even Christians, when the word came out. And I know that God can use even this for his glory. And you know what? I believe that God can and will heal her. Amen? Can God do that? You know what? We have not because we ask not. I've been praying, Lord, help me reach this office for your kingdom. Maybe this is what he's going to use. Lord, help us to come boldly into the throne of grace. If we trust who you are and believe who you are, nothing is too great for you. He told us to love him, to believe in him, but to love one another. I found this to be true too. When we love each other, we pray more. Amen? Because when you hear about somebody going through something, it drives you to your knees. You're not lackadaisical. You're not noncommittal. When you love God, you believe He can answer. And when you love people, you want to intercede on their behalf. It increases our prayer life if we just follow and obey Him. Now, we'll say this. It's important that we pray as we're following in, his, in obedience to His commandments and obedience to His will. And you know what? Even just in the last months or so, I've had people tell me, well, yeah, I'm praying with this person. And the pray- I've heard people pray this. Lord, I want to continue doing what I'm doing, but will you pre- please not let the consequences come as I continue in my sinful behavior? 
That's a really stupid prayer. <laughs> hey, God, don't judge me for being in rebellion. Just act like it doesn't matter to you. Uh, how much does it matter? This much. Amen? You can't ask God to make it not matter. Don't pray to, for God to bless your rebellion. Don't pray, to, pray for God to bless your business if you're lying, cheating, and stealing. Don't pray for God to to bless a relationship if it's unequally yoked and ungodly. Don't pray for God to bless when you're outside of His will. You're asking Him to act contrary to His nature. And God's not going to answer that prayer. Last verse, and then we're going to go to communion. Verse 24, Now he who keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. The word abide means to stay put, we talked about it before. He's the vine and we are the branches. Every branch in me that bears much fruit, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except abiding in the vine. No more can you accept you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him shall bring forth much fruit. For without me you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Here's the exhortation. Keep his commandments. Those who keep his commandments are abiding in him. You know why, guys? Because we can't keep his commandments unless we're abiding in him. Amen? The Bible says, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So that means when I'm fulfilling the lust of the flesh, I'm not walking in the Spirit. Amen? We need to abide, grab on, stay near, never walk away, hanging on to Him with both hands 24-7. Abiding in Him. And by this we know He abides in us. By the Spirit whom He has given us. How do we know He is abiding in us? How do we know He dwells in us? Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. Closing with this, it says in Ephesians 1, we've been blessed, chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven. And one of the words there, two of them are sealed and assured by the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. What does that mean? Here's what it means. The Holy Spirit is our down payment on heaven. It's the stamp on your heart that you belong to Him. How does, the, how does God determine who's His? He already knows He's God. How does the enemy know who's His? How does everyone know who's His? Here's how He knows. Holy Spirit on you. If the Holy Spirit is on you, you're His. If the Holy Spirit is not, you're not. That's why, as we abide in Him, as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, We're going to become more and more like Him. Lord, fill us afresh with Your Holy Spirit. And again, it's more than a feeling, it's a fact. God lives in you. You're not God, don't don't confuse those things, but He lives in you. How awesome is that? Again, it's awesome and scary at the same time. That's why you feel convicted when you're sinning. And that's a down payment on heaven too, the fact that you do feel convicted when you sin. So, a healthy heart is a confirming heart. It's not a condemning heart that's ruled by its feelings. It's a confident heart that approaches God with boldness coming into the throne of grace. It's a heart that obeys the word of God. It's a faithful heart that believes in God and a loving heart that loves others. And it's a spirit-filled heart as the Holy Spirit rules and reigns within us. My question is, we go to this time of communion right now. Where's your heart? Here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ. When they go to pass the elements, I'll be up here and you can come talk to me. Guys, we're not to take the elements unless we've given our life to Jesus Christ. As we go to this time of communion, the bread is His body broken for us. When we take and eat the bread, we're doing it in remembrance of the cross of Calvary, that His body was broken. And we take the juice... It's a representation of his blood that was shed upon the cross of Calvary. But he says again, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. It's not to be taken lightly. It's not to be something that we do flippantly. But we're to take, take it seriously. Looking back to the cross, looking within at our own hearts, and looking forward to when we'll have this supper with him in heaven one day. But if you're here this morning and you don't know him, before you come, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. 
If you're here this morning and you're living a hope so, it can be a no so before you leave here this morning. Guys, it's time to stop trusting in ourselves, to stop living based on our feelings, to stop putting our confidence in anything the world has to offer, but to surrender to repent. Not to point to a day when we pray to prayer, but to be able to look back at a life that has been radically transformed as we become new creations in Christ. That's God's heart for every one of us this morning. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. We ask as we go to this time of communion, time of the Lord's Supper, Lord, that we would not take this lightly, but truly, we would just stop and get our focus off anything that's distracting us right now. And just remember the greatest act of love in all of human history, when Almighty God came to earth, lived a sinly, sinless, holy, perfect life, and then took our sin that He did not deserve upon Himself and suffered and died in our place. We thank you, Lord, that because your body was broken, that we can be healed spiritually and physically. We thank you, Lord, that because your blood was shed, we can be redeemed and forgiven, and we can spend eternity in heaven. So I just ask to even now begin to prepare our hearts for this time of intimate fellowship with you. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said,